Anywhere is very good television podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizzle on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And happy Monday if you're listening to us on Monday. If you're not listening to us on Monday, if you're listening to us on Tuesday or another day, then this podcast is going to seem pretty funny to you, but also <laughs> full of optimism and hope. So right. I hope I hope you carry that with you going forward. That's yeah, that's great. Plus, I mean, if you're not listening on Monday, then it's you've moved beyond Monday. That's always a good thing. Like you're further into the week. That's great. But I want to I want to shout out to the people who do listen on Monday because actually I've been really surprised lately. I've been monitoring like who listens to the podcast via SoundCloud numbers as soon as we upload it, and you know we get a significant amount of traffic that day. So it's nice it's to know that you guys look forward to us, or at least begrudgingly start listening to us as a way to kick off your week. Yeah, I mean I don't know if you guys are addicted and you have like a problem, like maybe Steve Green does. Um, <laughs> to a podcast, not to, podcast, to not to right, us. Right. Steve Green is free is uh, uh, clean sober of us mm-hmm. i don't know if that's true but <laughs> uh but yeah i mean it's it is kind of terrifying to see those numbers roll in it's great but it's also scary yeah uh it's one of ben's favorite things <laughs> right yes um it's the but... best thing i watched this week was the numbers tick up <laughs> yep. on monday morning um so but we the reason the reason i put it in those terms is because uh we're gonna i don't know if you've noticed but in this it, indywire doesn't just cover television what I know. I I, I mean, I, you know this. No, you're I don't. Aware, but no. What? I don't think so. Yeah. I think you're wrong. Yeah. No, sorry about that. Mm. We cover also film. Oh. Yeah, we cover that stuff. That's great. Yeah, good for them. Um, but the film people and the film people do a wonderful job of covering that stuff. But I, in this great crazy world of ours, where um, everyone everyone likes to do everything, everyone likes to bounce back and forth between everything. Um, it's kind of funny how, you know, much overlap there is these days between, uh, you know, people on the film side, uh, between uh, actors and talent on the film side coming over to television and vice versa. Like, I, I haven't done the math on on this, but I could go back probably through the interviews I did during TCAs. <sighs> at least, I would guesstimate I talked to at least four Oscar winners. Oh, wow. Um, between Danny Boyle, Simon Buffoy, Hilary Swank, at least one other person. And all those are connected with one project specifically. But point is, you know, yep. um, that's a lot more Oscar winners than used to come to the TCAs a couple years ago. Well, it's also interesting in the sense that, what well, I think it was last year, maybe last year or two years ago, when they admitted all of the new members to the film academy, mm-hmm. so many of the members from like the acting branch oh, yeah. were from television. Like, and, and by, when we say from television, we mean predominantly known for or started in television. Like they either broke out through television or that's what they're mainly known for. And there was just, I, I, I wrote an article about it when it happened, but like it, it was just so notable to think to themselves like, wow, they're really like, I don't know if they're acknowledging that TV is uh is uh, of equal measure like artistically yet? I don't know if they'd be comfortable making that comparison or not, but they definitely seem to want our diversity at least. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of TV people doing film and uh, lots of TV people involved with the Oscars. Yeah, which means that uh, as the nominations come out uh, the Tuesday before we record this, we could be seeing a lot of TV people uh, getting getting their chance, uh, yeah. which is exciting. This I mean, is their chance to turn into snobs who don't talk to us anymore about TV because they're Oscar nominees. Hey, look, if Mira Servino can make the time for us. That's true. Um, anyone can make the time for us. Fact. So 
Ben has done a, a, some significant research on um, like all of the, you know, Ben loves predictions. Ben loves dealing with the award show stuff. So Ben I has. Do. I do love it. Why? Why is that? Do I you don't feel? know. Is I it just no like? Idea. Is it just like the ability to quantify like people and put them in, like? I mean, I do like numbers, so you're probably on the right track. Um, there's something about there's something about understanding the game, I guess, that makes me feel that that's intriguing to me. Like kind of assessing in a world in a world of chaos, you feel like you understand the system to some degree, right? And I love I love when they kind of tweak the system, you know, when the rule changes come up or, you know, again, a, a strong influx of voters changes things quite a bit. The Emmys are always so hard to keep track of because of, like, all of the changes they make year to year in the nomination process and nominees and, and categories, et cetera, et cetera. But um, film is always fun because there's always new people every year. Um, there's always new, you know films instead of just the same TV shows over and over again. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, there's, as Liz mentioned, there are just a ton of people who are known for television who are competing for significant Oscars this year and, and have a, at least a good chance, if not a, a very good chance of getting in. Yeah, so Ben has a big list of names, and I have a couple that I can rattle off the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, for example, not that he's a newcomer to the Oscars, but there's this guy named Aaron Sorkin who yes. once upon a time created some great television shows and now yes. is slumming it in the films. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, I get it. TV is is a much harder challenge than film. Like, it's just more difficult. It's, yeah, it's uh, really weird how he nailed it on the first try, and yeah. this has gotten worse from here. Well, no, he's definitely, that not, That doesn't make sense. I <laughs> Completely. Now, I, I'm so, I've lost the thread so much that I don't even remember how this began. But the point being, um, he made a great pilot, um, a.k.a. movie, that was Molly's game, and he's got a—he's definitely got a good shot to get nominated. That thing's gained a lot of steam with the guilds. Um, he obviously has a good track record with the Academy. Uh, he's got a strong um, female performance at the core. Jessica Chastain doesn't hurt. I mean, so. no way Jessica Chastain doesn't get nominated, right? Knocking on wood, Liz. Always knocking knock on wood for Jessica Chastain. She's great. She is great. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the West Wing scribe, the 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 scribe of the Emmy winning. HBO drama, The Newsroom, uh, here's hoping, you know, he gets uh, gets another Oscar nod on his shelf. Yeah, I mean, he, did he, has he, he's won, he won for Social Network? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Didn't win for Steve Jobs. No. Do you feel like he has a real shot at directing for his first no. film? No. Ann Thompson does. She's got him listed, I think, as like a, like a long shot or a, an also ran or something. Like, he's, he's like number... 15 on the list or 12 right. on the list but he is on the list so he might sneak in there you who know. knows um but yeah he did a good job with the directorial debut he was good yeah i enjoyed it yeah me too i mean kind of wish every time i was having a moment of crisis kevin costner would show up and kind of talk me through it yeah i mean or i just elba like either one. Oh yeah actually yeah i've, I've got my preference now <laughs> right. i know i know i'm shallow uh, but yeah um, i mean uh, another couple of writers that are fun to keep an eye on um uh, I believe this was already pointed out in a, in a Consider This profile on IndieWire's site. But uh, the co-writer of The Shape of Water, Vanessa Taylor, also came predominantly from television. Really? Yeah. Vanessa Taylor worked on Everwood. <laughs> she worked on Jack and Bobby. Wonderful. She's and a Berlanti girl. She is. And she's also uh, she also was a producer on Game of Thrones. 
Well, good for her. Yeah. Wait, she might be one of the actual female writers who wrote an episode of Game of Thrones. She might be. I'm going to look this up because I have it written down list. somewhere. It is a very it's short, short list. Uh, but no, she, she co-wrote uh, Shape of Water with Guillermo. A lot of drafts going back and forth. Um, he did uh, he did a great job at the Critics' Choice Awards, kind of pointing out all of the women who helped make the Shape of Water happen. Even though you know this was obviously a passion project for Del Toro, um, and and Taylor's great, so I'd be really exciting to see her you know get elevated to that stage. Hi Ben. Ben, in fact, I do have it written down because I wrote an article about how many women have worked on Game of Thrones behind the scenes. The answer is three. She's one of them. She is one of them. And Vanessa yes. Taylor wrote the following episodes of Game of Thrones: um, Garden of Bones, season two, episode four. Season two, episode six, The Old Gods and the New. And season three, episode two, Dark Wings, Dark Worlds. Um, but the thing about Vanessa, but the thing I feel like it's worth noting about that is the fact that, you know, I feel like everyone has their favorite Guillermo movies and their least favorite Guillermo movies. Guillermo is, his output has been in, in uniquely always very much him, with yep. the exception of Mimic. Which right. is my my current favorite thing right now is he always will if he's doing like an interview he's like all my films are my favorite films except for Mimic, which, mwah, chef's kiss yeah. way to throw that shade. Yeah, um, Guillermo's good at it. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like I feel like Guillermo is definitely a creator who, you know, benefits from a certain level of collaboration, and clearly, I feel like Shape of Water is the Guillermo movie everyone is more or less on board with like you know there are people who don't like it the same way people don't like anything but you know i feel like everyone's kind of on board with the idea that shape of water is the most is is high level guillermo and uh vanessa taylor probably deserves a lot of credit for that because absolutely so good for her good for her uh one of two women to ever write a game of thrones episode yeah, we won't hold it against her. Oh, um, that show. But yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a few writers that we should we should point out real quick. I'm hoping that uh, I'd love to see Blade Runner 2049 get some recognition, especially for Michael Green. Who... I just read I just read his uh, his uh, diary about making about making the movie. Yeah. Did you read that? No. Oh my god, you should read it because it includes details about him meeting Harrison Ford for the first and second God, times. That's always great. And then introducing Harrison Ford to his mother. Oh, these are always great stories. All right, that's I'll try to remember to send this to you. I think I, I think it was like a creative screen. You, you search Michael Green Diary 2040 and uh, Blade Runner 2049. I'm sure you'll pull it up. Yeah, and I think he's got two shots technically because he also uh, helped write Logan. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously he was, uh, he was Smallville. Um, Everwood as well, also American Gods, so he's very much a TV guy. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, Virgil Williams, uh, the co-writer of Mudbound, comes to mind because he actually worked on 24 ER Criminal Minds recently and also a little show that we like to bring up very randomly called The Chicago Code, which is <laughs> oh, a tremendous achievement unto oh, itself. Oh, my God. And Virgil, thank you for all the work that you did on that wonderful little TV program. Uh, I also very much hope Mudbound does well, so good luck to that. And of the 20 people who remember what the Chicago Code was, two of them work in this office, you're, and you're they will occasionally right. just go off on a tear. You're goddamn right we will. We'll never let anyone forget the Chicago Code. Um, and then, Liz, I believe there's one that we really want to, like, spend a good chunk of time talking about. And <laughs> um, that I feel like it is a long shot. Um, it's but, a long shot for as hell. But it would be great to see it happen if Jenny Bix gets nominated for a little movie that I like to call The Greatest Showman. That, yes. Because uh, that's the title. <laughs> that is the title. And it's great. And I, I, I did see it uh, this week, and 
It was it it was technically as delightful as Ben promised. If you were like thinking Ben was like over exaggerating the the charms of the Greatest Showman, you were you were you were Man, you have were I ever like, over exaggerated. I've never over exaggerated in my life. Exactly. Um, <laughs> in fact, you've gone out of your way to never over exaggerate. Exactly. Very um, calm and cool demeanor. I mean, my, honestly, you could probably technically say that the worst part about the movie is technically Jenny Bix's fault. No. The worst part of the movie is the fact that it's about P.T. Barnum. Like, it does not need to be about P.T. Barnum. Having it be about P.T. Barnum is a bad idea. Make up a fictional guy who doesn't have an incredibly shitty record of right. human rights abuse. Listen, P.T. Barnum is a bad dude. Like, nobody's disputing that. But right. when you actually watch The Greatest Showman, it is so – it's absolutely impossible to take anything that's happening literally. You don't yeah. you don't watch it and think to yourself that this is a biography of, of P.T. Barnum. So Except like, if, they, they, if, if, if they had just – so yeah, if they had just if you put it out of your mind, that's one thing. Like, and you can do that. But if you, another solution would have been to not make it about P.T. Barnum, make it about a fictional dude vaguely resembling P.T. Barnum. Like, I think they still would have faced the same criticism, though. I think people would have been like, "We know who you're talking about," and that guy's a problematic because the the like the way that they tell the story is not the way the story apparently went down, especially in terms of, like, the, the positivity yeah, just, surrounding the people that he hired and worked right. with and, like, how he treated them and, and how it all went down. But the movie is so supportive of this and so engaged in the issues and so positive and joyful and wonderful and educational and beautiful that, like, people still would have thrown them under the bus for, like, comparing I feel like, the two people. I think it would have, like, I think it's better. I'm not questioning that. Yeah. I just think it, they still would have hit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's the degree to which they would have deserved it. Like, and I feel like, I mean, would it have been like covering up the fact that you know human rights abuses and acts like these were a huge issue? Um, but I don't know. Yeah. What's important here is that the Greatest Showman <laughs> is such a joy, and Jenny Bix deserves a lot of credit for that. Yes. And that I hope she gets nominated, and I hope it gets nominated for about five different songs, and it just dominates the category, and everything's great. You know what? By the way, is funny. Is his her co the so she's story by story by Jenny Bix, um, and then she's credited as co screenwriter with Bill Condon, right? Who of course wrote your favorite movie musical, the worst movie musical in the history of the world. But it's so, but it's not like, a musical. <laughs> Bill Condon wrote Chicago. Yep, not uh, a musical, which is stunning that he's even associated with the greatest. But show I mean, movie. it's 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 a weird flip, though, right? It's astonishing. Yeah. I think Jenny Bix wrote every word. Of the greatest showman, or she fixed every word of it, and Condon's just there to be like, "Yeah, sure, musical experience on this project, but, give us more money." But Jenny Bix, of course, is an established TV person, going all the way back to Sex and the City, yeah. and then most recently, Ben actually talked to her for a little show called Divorce that's currently airing on HBO. Miss Bix, I don't think you're listening at all, but I want to apologize for not seeing the Greatest Showman before we spoke. Otherwise, I would have properly congratulated you uh, at that time. I mean, great work. it is a I, – I, I think the thing you told me was – you told me in advance, like, you know, you told everyone in advance on this podcast that the songs moved the story forward. And I was really impressed by the degree to which it did, it did that. Especially when Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman are pounding shots. And then – Probably some, doing it. And pro- <laughs> probably doing it, yeah. Then that scene wasn't – that higher. scene wasn't – just dripping with sexual tension. Do you think that there was like a a version of The Greatest Showman? Sorry for any potential spoilers here. In which uh, it's all in the trailer. Um, in which that scene happened. Right. 
and they have their dance in the bar. They have their dance in the bar. They fall in love, and then <laughs> Zac Efron falls in love with Zendaya, just like he does in the movie. Right. And that's why Hugh Jackman leaves town because he's so upset that the person he loves fell in love with somebody else, and then the rest of the stuff just kind of plays out as a result of that. But that's like the actual motivation for him so passionately wanting to get out of town. He's like, I'm going to do it for these reasons. Like, I want to, you know, be respectable and go after the rich crowd and blah, blah, blah. But I also just have to get out of here because the love of my life is in love with a woman. I mean. Do you think they wrote that draft? I, I think there's there's elements of it in there. It's also a better supported decision as a result of that. Um, you have to throw in the fact it's like. Fine, fine. You go off and be with a woman. I'll be with two women. I'll have Michelle Williams and Re- Rebecca Ferguson. Suck on that. Yeah, because I'm a dude, a hetero dude. Yeah, the most hetero dude. Yeah, J.P. Barnum. <laughs> That's a fictional character name. Why? Yeah. Why didn't they just call him J.P. Barnum? That's your solution. Also, by the way. Also, by the way, why doesn't. Oh, this is that. That's a movie spoiler. I won't. I won't get into that. We'll talk about it after. The yes, podcast. but uh, that, that's a, that was a real, for real spoiler. But I am so excited for the Greatest Showman to keep making money and to sweep the Academy Awards. Certainly, it's going to get at least a Best Song nomination. I hope so. Knock on wood. I mean, what do you what do you think I it'll n- get? I never trust the Best Song nominations because really? ever since Bruce Springsteen got snubbed for The Wrestler, I was just like, I'm out. This makes no sense. I'm done. Like it's crazy. So I don't trust them. Yeah. It reminds me of a random Bruce Springsteen fact to share with you later. Oh, good. I mean, yeah, it's not that important. But um, I do love Bruce. But I definitely definitely should mention it on the podcast, though. So what's uh, some, some other people, like, I mean, from the, we, we're, we can kind of talk about this one guy in terms of both writing and other categories, uh, because Camille Nanjiani is in the discussion for, um, for his work on The Big Sick, both as a co-writer with Emily V. Gordon, and also with, uh, for the whole actoring thing he did. Yep. Yep. Which I feel like the latter is a harder, a, a longer shot. Than... Oh, yeah. He's in a rom-com. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously more than a rom-com, but, you know, in the eyes of the Oscars, that's how they're going to see it. So it's tough to crack that category. And there's also, I think, probably the not unfair criticism that he's not necessarily playing a character so much as he's playing himself. Yeah. And admittedly, a, you know, nuanced and very well-realized version of himself. But, you know, he didn't put on, like, all Gary Oldman's fat suit. Right. Right, 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 right. Which is your front runner right there. Yeah. But, uh, but no, yeah. I mean, Kumail. I think he's. I think they're they're very high on him in terms of writing. I think they're both uh, pretty strong contenders right there, which is pretty exciting. And I mean, obviously, you know, he's a Silicon Valley guy. Um, he's been on TV for a while. I mean, I, I've done the research. Um, I believe his one of his very one of his very first screen credit as a is a random part on SNL, and then he started getting semi regular work playing uh, on a doing desk bits on uh, The Daily Show. Hmm. So that was, yeah, he, right, he, he wasn't, right. I, th- I think, a full-on correspondent right away, I think, but, though I think he has done correspondent stuff. But yeah, he very much came up from the TV world, the stand-up world, and then found himself now writing a movie and being, getting to go to all the parties. Yeah, he had uh, had that, he had those that, those great TV gigs to kind of fall back on and, and you know, build up his, his, uh, his profile, and then uh, he went out there and knocked it out of the park with that Sundance hit. Um, but sticking in the Best Actor category, I want to point out something that I think would be very controversial if the film team actually listened to what listened to our podcast. Well, yeah, which they don't. Which they don't. Um, I think that Timothy Chalamet, is that how you say it? I think so. He's a TV person. Yeah. Do you know why, Liz? Why? Because Timothy 
Chalamet's breakout performance. Oh, Lord. Without question. Sure. Is on Homeland. Ah. Where he played. Did he play, like, Dana's stupid boyfriend? Yes. Oh, my God. He played Dana's stupid boyfriend in season two. (laughs) He was so stupid, that boyfriend. Whose dad was murdered in, like... The first bombing or something? I don't know. And then he dies in that second bombing at the memorial at the end of the season. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had no idea he was Dana's stupid boyfriend. He was on, like, eight episodes that season. So that was, I remember, that was all what his, broke his, him out. His storyline was so stupid. Yeah. It was terrible. But he was great. I mean, he was fine. I don't know. I don't remember. But he was in it. And I remember the character. And we're definitely taking credit for putting Timothy oh Chalamet God. on the map. Where is your think piece on Timothy Chalamet's performance in Homeland Season 2? Just waiting for him to get nominated and then for Homeland to come out. And then those powers are going to combine. I'm going to have I'm going to ask Claire Danes to interview him and then <laughs> just go from there. Wonderful. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, any anyone else in the best actor category? Great I question. Mean, well, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya. Am I am I saying that name right? I have no idea. Okay, that lovely gentleman Daniel from um, Get Out. Right. Fun fact: British, first big role, Black Mirror. Very British. Very British. Actually, I feel like he's done some other British TV as well. Did you do do, do some digging on that? Uh, I didn't. I got distracted by um, by Steve Carell as a supporting actor in uh, Battle of the Sexes, obviously from The Office, as well as Ray Romano in The Big Sick. Right. Like, big TV names, big, big, big TV shows uh, that are now, you know, killing it in the sporting category. That, that threw me off a little bit. Oh, my God. Uh, so some of, uh, some of Daniel's uh, TV credits include The Whistleblowers, uh, Doctor Who, um, and uh, Babylon, uh, the Danny, Danny Boyle series. Oh, yeah. And more, and not, and he played a character uh, on two seasons of Skins, uh, oh, right. in, named Posh Kenneth slash DJ. Great, great um, British names. And actually, the cool thing about Skins, I don't know if you know about this. Uh, do you know how they wrote the show? Uh, I don't, but I know another Travers family member who does. Okay, the story is that like they made a real point of casting actors who were like really close to the ages of the of the of the characters they were playing. Like they really wanted to be like teen stories driven by teens. And a lot of those actors ended up writing episodes. So he has actually credited with three episodes of Skins Watch as a writer. It. Wow. Um, and whether or not that's just like, you know, he came in and had his ideas for stories or whatnot. But yeah, so he kind of grew up on TV and he, his episode of Black Mirror is really, is one of, I, I think, this is a fight that could be had all, all you know more than once, but uh, I personally th- think uh, Fifteen Million Merits is a great episode. I will say this: I haven't seen it, but that photo of him from the episode is the one I see most often associated with Black Mirror. Yeah, like if they're just talking about it, especially before the Netflix ones started coming out, um, that was the episode people would reference. So. I mean, it was also the, the the big factor in that also was the fact that like there's just no good publicity photos for the first few seasons of that show because uh, it was British. Yeah, break down my theories. Yeah, um, but no, I mean that's that's a great pick. Um, and then I I wanted to point out before we kind of you know wrap up, there's a few more we can get to, but I wanted to point out some of the technical categories, oh, yeah. um, mainly in the editing. Uh, Paul Mockless, I'm sorry, I'm I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that name, but Paul Mockless, the editor for Baby Driver, which I mean. Come on. 
that is a beautifully edited movie. Yeah. Like, if there's anything done perfectly about that movie, like, there's lots of things that you could argue were, but the editing, it's absolutely flawless. Right. Uh, and he came from, uh, I mean, came up with Edgar Wright a little bit. He did Spaced. He did The It Crowd. He did... Uh, IT Crowd. IT Crowd, sorry. Um, and then he did The Fleabag Pilot, which is very exciting for me. As that's a really well-edited so, pilot. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's another one that's very important when it comes to editing. So that's very exciting. And then also Sidney Walensky, I believe, um, is the Shape of Water editor. And uh, they've been working on they've worked on TV for a while. They did a bunch of TV movies like coming up, and then Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, House of Cards season one. Most recently, they worked on Power. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you, these people are clearly proving themselves uh, on small screen, big screen, you know, worthy either way, and exciting talents. So uh, both of those would be great to see get nominated. Okay. Yeah. Um. I wonder, I was trying to figure out if Sidney Wallenstein is a man or a woman. That's why I said they. Yep. My bad. It's okay. We'll figure Sorry, it out. Sorry, Sidney. Later. Sorry, Sidney. Uh, uh, but congratulations on maybe getting an Oscar nomination. Here's hoping. God, yeah. if it's it's if not, you just got some, some good buzz from the TV world, so yeah. don't forget about it. Um, obviously, there's some big names that we can just throw out there very quickly and yeah. leave it at that. Uh, Allison Janney. Yep. I mean, she, she she has more she has all those Emmys we own her yeah she has so many Emmys we found her we we you know she is just the best right. uh, and then Lori Metcalf her competition also came out on Roseanne um, she's about a big how bank close theory, is she to egotting so. oh great question um, Lori Metcalf Lori Metcalf has to be close and she has a lot of Emmys that's we're, we're now yeah, looking. She hasn't up. won a Golden Globe yet. That's the problem. Well, she it's a no. It's not a it's not a Golden Globe you need. It's a Grammy. Oh shit! But she has an Emmy and a Tony. Yep. So she has her Tony. So yeah, she's very close. And actually, I mean that that race is really the the best supporting actress race. Like that is going to be one that burns TV Twitter down because how do you pick? Yeah. How do you pick between those two? Yeah, it's I mean the film people are struggling <laughs> with it. So I, I expect TV just head to just explode. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, me personally, I, I know the movie. I have issues with the movie, but um, Woody Harrelson in Three Billboards. I love Woody Harrelson in everything, but especially that movie. He's so 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 very good. I'd love to see him get a nomination to match his SAG nomination, um, which you know who knows maybe he won for this weekend. We haven't seen it happen yet, but we're excited. Um, but yeah, I mean, those that's just a handful of of many many. TV favorites, you could yeah. argue for just about any actor in the post. <laughs> so. Oh well, I mean, they, I mean, like you can't. We didn't mention Carrie Coon, if only because Carrie Coon has five minutes of screen time. Right. And there's no best guest actress in a movie category. Sadly, she, she should still get a supporting nod. That'd be great. Uh, but I don't want to see her lose to Allison Janney. That feels too sad. She can win. That's fine. Um, <laughs> She'll just win. That's that'll solve the problem. That's always the solution. Just let Carrie Coon win. But, let Carrie I mean, Coon win. Also, Bob Odenkirk. I, I can't tell you, including you, I believe, Liz, like how many people I've talked to after that movie where their biggest takeaway was, oh, my God, Bob Odenkirk, right? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it's hard for me to dispute it. Uh, there's a certain person in the IndieWire office who's wrong about Matthew Reese, but Matthew Reese is great in the post, and he's also his scenes are also great. So, yeah. Um, yeah, go, I mean, you can go down the list. There's a bunch of them. I mean, the Post, yeah, the Post has already, like, I think it's, I believe my account was 58 uh, Emmy nominations amongst its cast, um, including behind-the-scenes nods for producing and whatnot, but still. And so, listen, I'm not going to be the one to make the argument, Liz, but an argument could be made that Meryl Streep belongs to television because her greatest role was on television in Angels in America. She was really good in that. She, greatest, greatest role. Mm-hmm. Greatest role. It's great. On the record. Yeah, I think she won an Emmy for that. Put me down. 
<laughs> so really, Ben, the most important thing is, what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, as I mean, I can't say The Greatest Showman two weeks in a row. You can't. Because, because you didn't watch it again a second time. Because I didn't time. have time to watch it again. I really wanted to, but I honestly figured I was able to escape with my life after seeing that before seeing Star Wars. I shouldn't do it again. I shouldn't no. see it twice before I see Star Wars. Even though I'd love to. Um, and I, I'm really excited about Star Wars. Anyway, the best thing I saw was Counterpart, which is a new stars thriller starring J.K. Simmons, um, who plays... Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons. Good catch, Liz. Very good catch. Like, I mean, I'm so glad you did that because I always, you know, try to step in whenever I can with that sort of thing, especially with like people like Emmy winner Jeff Daniels. But uh, <laughs> anyway. you took you took a compliment from me and then you made it into a bad thing. <laughs> I, that's absolutely not true. Um, but no, yeah, Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons times two uh, because he's playing two different parts. They're not twins. They're technically the same person. It's very confusing. Alternate but, realities. Uh, kind of. K- kind of? Parallel universes. Yes. Yes, I think that's true. Um, like Fringe. They have a very, yeah, they have a very specific definition for what's happening here. But it is, it is one of those shows that kind of constantly feels like it's teetering over the cliff. Right. Like if it if it makes a couple of bad decisions, it could go skewing into nonsense feel, and you'd never come back. Like the kind of like the Looper expression, where if you think about time travel too much, your head explodes. You're pointing at like picking up straws for years or shit. I can't remember the quote now. Anyway, Bruce Willis is great, um, but Counterpart has so much within the first five episodes that ties together in a very kind of confident manner i'd say yeah that it gives you confidence within the show so like you you pick up something that you're like that seemed kind of odd i wonder if it matters and then four episodes later you're like oh that's coming back now um or or it makes it it makes a lot of good decisions just kind of in terms of the storytelling um there's a few things that like i noticed one of the things i really like was the pilot ends in this like really big way which usually you know, it's exciting and it's fun. And it's like, that's a pilot kind of thing. And then they have to restart a little bit in episode two. They'll pick up somewhere else or they'll pick up a new thread or whatever the fuck's going on. No, they start right where that ended, which was really exciting for me. Um, so there's there's a lot to really admire about it. And getting half the season like that makes me feel very confident in recommending it to people, even though it is a very twist-driven kind of show, um, or at least a mysterious kind of show. So things will be divulged that will change everything probably. But uh, it's a lot of fun. It's got a great sense of humor. J.K. Simmons is incredible. Um, so, yeah, Counterpart stars. Um, I forget, were you in the TCA panel or have you heard anything? Like, I'm trying to remember, like, if they talked about how they're looking, like, they were looking at multiple seasons. Um, they all, yeah. with, cool. he knows the ending, which is comforting. Feels like a show where you know you never know what's going to happen. This could be a huge hit, and then Stars wants to make nine seasons of it. And then who knows what they'll end up doing? It could be you know a show that I mean I hope not, but it could be a show that they wrap up in a year or two because there's just not enough interest. I think it it should if it reaches people, it'll it'll be a an addictive kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, no, I think he's got a good plan for it, so it's exciting. Very. Uh, Liz, what was the best thing you watched though? Um, well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna cheat and do two things. Okay. The great, the greatest show was the best movie I watched. Yeah. But we're talking about television. And Liz watched, she watched Phantom Thread last week. She watched The Post. She watched Call Me by Your Name. So Greatest Showman is better than all those films, obviously. Um, not sure about your police work there, Lou. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll check my sources <laughs> later. It doesn't matter. Um, no, the 
okay, tech, the best show I watched um, was High Maintenance. Uh, HBO continued that. It's just such a gem of a show. It's about so much more than pot. It's really, it's really just so wonderfully detail driven, so character oriented. It's a show, you know. It's like sometimes I feel like this is something we I. It's something that I realized, uh, I feel like we've talked about this before even on this podcast, the idea of like when you realize a show or a movie hates its characters, like whenever Zack Snyder directs a Superman movie, um, <laughs> he's just like, oh. Whenever that happens. That guy doesn't like Superman. That guy thinks Superman can suck it. Um, and he shows it. Uh, but High Maintenance is a show where even like the characters who aren't great people and there, there are people who on the show who are just like kind of like you know, eh, I wouldn't care to spend much time with them. But even then, like they, there's just such love and affection and understanding for it. It's it's such a show. It's such a show rich with humanity that um, I love. I love it. I. It's just you know, there's not a lot you to, a lot to say about. It. Like I wrote a review of it today. It's not a very long review, but it's just like good show. Watch. I mean, there's there's all there's never a bad time for compassion, and uh, this is an especially good time for compassion. It shows. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Also, um, for those of you f- follow still following, still on the still on the disco train, uh, oh, yeah. still watching Star Trek Discovery, um, the last Sunday's episode. As you listen to this, um, I feel like I feel like here's the thing. Uh, I'm, all I'm gonna say is there's a big reveal regarding a major character from that basically took two weeks to pay off like and that was after literally months of fans being like uh hello i think we we know what's going on here like it was very very embedded in the narrative it was very obvious what was going on by the time like they actually were like saying the words out loud it's like yep we get it don't need to keep doing those flashbacks we're on board um, so we had that kind of twist uh, reveal thing happen last week. And then in this latest episode, um, they threw another massive twist at us. But this one, like, was actually, was really, was well-planted in retrospect, but caught me completely off guard. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a nice, it's like, it was a really nice, like, it was nice to see the show pull that off. Like, I mean, and actually I did some Googling after the fact and like I like I did find like a couple of fan sites had kind of like been like, oh, what if this thing is a thing? Um, and so like, I can't say like nobody saw it coming because people did very much see it coming, but I did not see it coming. And I'm not the most, you know, I'm, I'm pretty susceptible to twists and that sort of thing. But uh, it's the same reason I tend to fall for pranks. Um, but yeah. Who pranks you? No one. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Pranks are mean. Pranks are very mean. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, <laughs> uh, point is, Disco's good this week. I, I find myself very, very excited for next week and very excited for what what's going to come next. Do you feel like when you call it Disco that that dates the show in a weird way? Like when you said Disco Train, are people still on the Disco Train? It's like, wow, that makes me feel like they've been on it since 1972. I mean, it's tough like the fact is like with internally the nickname is disc internally at cbs the nickname is disco they used um their biggest big exciting music cue moment of the first half of the season was using a song called uh, we trying to stay alive by white cleft john wow. which samples uh heavily samples staying alive nice um yeah it's great it's a really good music uh, choice um but that's the thing it's it's sounds like a great nickname 
But yeah. then, like the more I hear it, the more I wonder, like, is this actually good? Um, like good for the show? Good for the show. I don't think it embodies, it, I don't think it represents the spirit of the show as, as it has currently evolved mm. the way it might. But people were definitely at the premiere wearing the t-shirts that said disco. So, you know, know, let's have fun with it. Maybe it's it'll a, be a season by is, season thing. It is a very dark show right now at this point. Okay. And so, like, it's kind of fun to call it disco, even though that's not really representative of the tone. Yeah, I like that stuff. What's the next thing you're looking forward to, Ben? Uh, I'm looking forward to a couple of things that I've seen the beginnings of, but that's it. So I'm going to count them because they come out this week. Sure. Uh, I've seen the first couple episodes of Waco. And uh, I like what I've seen so far. Um, Taylor Kitsch's mullet is a thing of beauty and hmm. needs to be discussed further. Um, that How might... much of your review is going to be about the mullet? Not much because I did a, I, most of my interviews with them were about the mullet. Oh. So there will be a mullet story coming, which is fun. I, you know I'm going to like that story. I know. I th- when I was deciding on the topic, I thought, I think Liz will enjoy this. And that means it's good. Um, or stupid one of the two no definitely not. <coughs> um, but no I, I've enjoyed this, the, the miniseries so far it's a six episode uh, thing the, the creators had a lot of intelligent things to say about it um, and I, re- I mean obviously with Michael Shannon and Taylor Kitsch at the center of something you're going to want to watch that no matter what so um, I'm I keep forgetting Michael Shannon's in it I know well he wasn't at the TCAs so well I think like uh God, what was I? What was I reading about? Oh, I was. Like, I think I was reading about the Shape of Water, and somebody was like, "Michael Shannon plays the Michael Shannon role." Oh, yeah. Oh um, God, that was scarring. Okay. Michael oh. Shannon is a little bit scary. He's definitely scary, but he's also super wonderful. Um, and he was on At Home with Amy Sedaris, and he was great. Oh God, yeah, I forgot uh, that. That's great. Yeah. Okay, um, so. But no, so that's one thing. That's Wednesday. It's on Paramount Network, which used to be Spike. Uh, there's interesting stuff going online about that if you want to read about it, but. You know, if you're looking for it on TV, look for Paramount Network or wherever Spike used to be on your cable channel. Um, that being said, if you don't have that or you want something a little bit lighter as opposed to Waco. Cult which, suicides? I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Um, the Detour premieres on TBS Aww. season three. And let me tell you guys, The Detour is a tremendous show. It is so much fun. And the, the characters they create to the situations they get themselves in, I mean... It's it's a it's a beautiful sitcom because they go to the extreme on both and what they do in season three is great. They're moving kind of a little bit away from the road trip model that they established in the first two seasons. Um, they're kind of planting in this new town, which is kind of exciting. Um, but how are they going to detour? Well, I mean, I think it's are they going to emotionally detour? Right, I think it's still a detour from their life. Uh, uh, but no, I mean, there's there's definitely going to be some chasing and and other things involved but uh luckily in case in case you know i'm not allowed enough voice for the detour over the years we've got we're gonna have a lot of detour coverage coming through IndieWire, which is very very exciting because we know our own michael schneider talked to jason, jason jones yeah. and natalie z today and uh steve green interviewed natalie z before there's going to be some good detour stuff so guys if you're not listening to me trust them trust everybody else it's good was that the panel you moderated uh last fall yeah i moderated it uh, at the new york comedy festival with jason jones so um yeah i mean i'm biased now yeah. i can't be trusted no so trust them yeah, yeah. but liz always trustworthy yeah what are you looking forward to other than a sequel to The Greatest Showman or a, an official sing-along version of The Greatest Showman to play at theaters. I feel like a great uh, the thing with a sing-along version was that, I mean, you, you, if you would have the lyrics on the screen, which is good, but some of those lyrics move pretty f- 
freaking fast. Yeah, but I mean, you've been studying the soundtrack, right? Like I've been studying the soundtrack. Well, I'm you ready. know, you know, I'm a rap master. Right. I can battle. I know. But I feel like even those songs are going to challenge me. No, you got it. Eh. You got it, Liz. All right, I'll see what I can do. We'll we'll come up with a version of the Zac Efron Hugh Jackman <laughs> drinking thing. And record do, do you want to do you want to be Hugh Jackman or uh, Zach Efron? I don't know. I'm probably like you're probably like the wholesome leader, and I'm more of the, the shitty little <laughs> drunken guy who needs convincing to do the right thing. So maybe we'll fall into those roles. I, but honestly, that either way could apply to either of them. No. They're, well, they're that in sync, Ben. Kind of. They're yeah. they're they're just really two peas in a pod. Oh God. Yes. They, they go to pound. They go to pound town. Probably, but I mean, good for them. Yeah, everyone should go to pound town. Pound town is a lovely place. It's been visited frequently of late. Yeah, uh, but the actual thing I'm looking forward to is uh, one I, I legitimately have no idea about. Like I, we know we know a fair amount. I haven't oh. even watched a tr- watched like a teaser trailer, but beyond that, I haven't really seen any footage. I've just know a few things. Uh, but Altered Carbon, uh, Netflix's big sci-fi play coming up. Uh, as as you listen to this, review embargoes have lifted, so there may be a couple of trades have published their stuff. We're going to wait until the, closer to the premiere just because you guys don't care until then. Um, but it's based on a base, I believe it's based on a manga, um, and maybe contains some problematic whitewashing, at least uh, Joel Kinnaman in the lead. Is Joel Kinnaman the one we a like? Lead. Like, why? No. Oh, we don't like Joel Kinnaman? Joel, Joel no. Joel, I mean, I. No. I mean, I, saw, I definitely saw the new RoboCop. I liked Joel Kinnaman in The Killing, and that was, I mean, I, I don't dislike Joel Kinnaman, but I, I haven't, I'm not that excited when he shows up. Yeah. Pro- I, th- it's probably Suicide Squad's fault, let's be honest. Who is he in Suicide Squad? He was like the- Oh, the, the Rick Flagg guy? The leader, the the normal army guy leader of the squad or the fuck. I always get him confused with Joel Edgerton. How dare you? <laughs> Joel Edgerton would be exciting in everything. Except for Bright. Except Bright. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't see that. You can't see, see him. You can't see that beautiful Joel Edgerton face. Yeah, you can't be like, that's the guy from Warrior. <laughs> the only thing you want to know about that movie. Um, so. <laughs> yes. So the poor. So that's a lot of detail about that Netflix show that you. <laughs> the fact that we can confirm Joel Edgerton is not in it. Right. Joel Kinnaman is. Seek out Joel Edgerton. Programming. Anyways, it sounds like high concept sci-fi could be really well executed. Could not be. I'm looking forward to finding out. Or don't seek out Joel Edgerton programming and just watch Warrior again. <laughs> stop talking about Warrior. I will never stop talking about Warrior. I know this, but still. What so if, owe you a sandwich over Warrior. What if the greatest showman is the new Warrior for me? Oh, no. Like for this podcast. Oh, no. I don't think well, it is, but it might be. Well, I think one of the, the defining traits of your Warrior obsession is the fact that you will interview anyone, literally anyone involved with Warrior for any, for, for, for any reason whatsoever. That's and then fact. just find a way to make it about Warrior. True. Very true. Um, but I feel like, I mean, like Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman are already gimmies. And yeah. Zendaya, I can see you having long conversations with Jessica Ferguson, Michelle Williams. Rebecca Ferguson. Michelle Williams, for sure. She was in Brokeback Mountain. I mean, Michelle Williams, you have, like, other things to talk about. So with. many things. Like, there's some Dawson Creek questions she could probably answer. Don't care. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, I, I probably should take that back a step just in the sense that when I do advocate for Warrior, it's because it is a, a literally a perfect achievement in cinema. <laughs> and The Greatest Showman is just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, a plus, like Bville. Whoa, Bville for B Greatest plus. Showman. B, yeah, B B plus. Yeah. yeah. 
A B for the greatest showman. But like, yeah, but like you're excited about it. Lordy. You do a little dance. Lordy. Okay. Uh, with that said, you can read all about that. Well, you probably can't read Ben's thoughts on The Greatest Showman on IndieWare. <laughs> if it yet. gets Oscar nominations, I think you probably will. Um, I will. I, 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 we could all collaborate on a think piece entitled, Did uh, Pastor Nick and Paul Have the Worst Song in uh, the Flash uh, Supergirl Musical Crossover episode? The answer is yes. They got beat hard by Rachel Bloom, who had the best song. That makes perfect sense to me. Rachel Bloom is a better songwriter than them. Right. Yeah. Than most people, I would think. Yeah. I'm glad that you're okay with that definition, though. Yeah. Okay. That seems right. We're good. Yeah. Basically, by the transitive property, uh, if Pastor Nick and Paul get nominated for an Oscar for their songs, that means Rachel Bloom also deserves an Oscar nomination for her songs. Yeah. I don't think anybody would dispute that. That sounds good. Yeah. I like this, pl- I like this plan. That's Anyways. the trade. We'd, we'd approve it. <laughs> Anyways, look, look forward to that article, plus much more on IndieWire.com, where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. And I can only assume that Michael Schneider has already talked to everyone on The Greatest Showman cast <laughs> on the Turn It On podcast, which specifically focuses on TV. So I if guess... He, if, he, if he had Hugh Jackman in this office and didn't tell me, I, there's going to be a problem. Ooh, good point. I'm, I'm going to start stealing, stealing his swag bit by bit until his office is empty. It would probably drive him crazy. He'd, he'd just slowly start realizing, he's like, something's missing, but I don't know If I just take one thing a day, he'll never notice. No, probably not. Well, eventually, obviously, he would. There'd be a tipping point, but it'd be curious to know when that tipping point would be. Yeah, it'd have to be something big. Yeah. Yeah. Or just enough little things I think he might notice too. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I'm sure he's going to talk to them at some point uh, for whatever projects come up in the TV realm. Uh, I'm sure that Ann Thompson. Even Laughlin is a revival. It's probably coming. There's a revival for everything. Nothing dies. Nothing dies. Um, Not even songs or not even CBS dramas that are also musicals that are also set in. Oh, man. The original one had David Tennant in it. That's fascinating. Um. I can guarantee that Ann Thompson will not be talking about The Greatest Showman. She was not a fan. But I don't know how Eric Cohn falls on the film, so I will talk to him about that soon, and hopefully that will get it on to the Screen Talk podcast, right. which is the, the one that started it all. And then I can only imagine that the smartest, most generous human being of all time, Chris O'Fault, uh, has already started to work his way through the brilliant production design of The Greatest Showman, and that will somehow show up on Chris O'Fault's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. Um, again, it cannot be reiterated that no matter what Chris decides to do, it is the right decision because he is that intelligent and smart and wise. So listen to those podcasts, Very especially good. Chris's. Very good. Uh, you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I. Any. Correct. Uh, we will hopefully be back next week, presuming that Ben doesn't get frozen into a snowbank oh, in Sunday. Do. Uh, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. You, you don't. Don't know. Okay. Yes. yes. Do it. Just sit in a sm- snowbank for like 15 minutes. Jack Nicholson, me. No. Just shining. Yeah. Jesus, I'm gonna do so much work if you do that. No. Well, yeah, that's probably true. Um, but yes. Uh, but we may, we may even be able, like you know be able to broadcast live from uh, Sundance in some fat form. Who knows? <laughs> in some form. Yeah. <laughs> in some form, I will record the podcast from outside in Park City. Yeah. That would be. Oh God, that'd be great. Yeah, we might be able to do that. Who knows? You'd probably um, just hear my teeth chattering. Yeah, that's probably true. In the happiest way. Oh yeah, I'd be ecstatic about it. <laughs> Point is, we are going to try to be back next week. Um, thank you so much for listening, and as always, you guys. Keep watching television.